And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 21 of the postseason, the last of our playoff episodes because we have a winner. We have a World Series winner, the Dodgers. Got the job done on Tuesday night, ending the series in six games, making me right with one prediction, just one prediction this postseason. I guess if you're going to be right about one series, being right about the World Series is the one to be right about, but I was wrong about everything else. <laughs> uh, so here we are. You know, Sarah's Bridgeroli, Derek Van Riper, uh, our swan song for these postseason pods, and... If you told me at the beginning of the series there was going to be one very controversial managerial decision that everybody would be up in arms about in the decisive <laughs> game of the series, I would have said, surely Dave Roberts did something with Kenley Jansen, and that is what set Twitter ablaze. But no, it was Kevin Cash who started the fire. <laughs> and, and, and Twitter is going nuts right now. I can't believe this. Justin Turner got removed from the game because he had a positive COVID test. Oh, jeez. What? That, that's why he... Wait, what? Okay, so... Um, <laughs> what? Did they hide this? Bef like, did he just get the results? Like, how did he get into the game? Like, when... How 2020 is this? We get to baseball. We get to the World Series. We crown a champion. Oops. Oh the guy who God. just played in it has COVID. How 2020 is this? At least he didn't like hit a homer that decided the game so that we would have to be like, should he have even been in there? And this is why we can't oh have nice god. things. 2020. Oh my god, 2020. Just can't not be 2020 even on the last minute when we're like, that was a that was a normal this series. I mean, we're, we've got stuff to talk about, but like, you yeah. know, a six-game series between the two best teams in baseball, you know? Like, hey, let's, let's rip uh, on Kevin Cash. Oh wait, COVID. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I am not here to rip on Kevin Cash, though. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with this Justin Turner COVID thing? Or, I mean, holy crap. Like that, I'm not even prepared to talk about that. There's nothing to say. We'll get more details on that later, I guess. Does That, oh, that means that he can't even... He can't even like jump around with his teammates. It's too late. He's been, all, he's been in the bubble all over these guys. He played eight innings. Are they really going to celebrate wow. like nothing's wrong? They all should be getting tests. But they'll probably do the, a silly thing and be like, nope, you've got to go away now. <laughs> like, Come on. That's what I mean. Like, should they really be continuing with this ceremony? Oh, and the man. celebration? I mean, these guys have all been. Weird is I mean, this life that we live. Forget it. They've all been hugging and high fiving and God knows what else in this bubble. And he played eight oh, innings of God. the game. When did the test get released? Tonight? How did he even get it in the bubble? Oh, man. When did this oh, test man. get released? Doesn't it, everyone feel like it's kind of shady? He played eight innings? Yeah. If he was waiting very, on his test results, strange. he shouldn't have been playing. Why did the test results 
take till the eighth inning to. <laughs> I mean, guys get them at night, right? But is he pulling out his cell phone and checking his like my chart as a player? No. Look, I thought it was weird that Edwin Rios was playing third base, but yeah. I just figured that it was an ankle or he even got like a defensive play where you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, this might this might be a thing that, that matters, <laughs> and he handled it fine. I I'm speechless about the Turner thing because that literally just broke as we started recording. So I've had some time to think about the Blake Snell removal from this game. And (laughs) Kevin Cash is actually talking about that right now. The quote, I didn't want Mookie seeing Blake a third time. This was the plan the whole time. Like this wasn't decided in the moment. It It, it wasn't decided by Kevin Cash unilaterally. It's a group decision. This is a, decision that had a lot of thought that went into it and sure. look people killed it immediately like there were people on twitter angry before any results angry before the dodgers tied it angry before the dodgers took the lead against nick anderson my first thought was why nick anderson because we have talked on this pod about nick anderson not being himself experiencing a little bit of diminished velocity in recent weeks and yielding a ton of hard contact in that situation not going to Diego Castillo seemed like the greater offense than taking Blake Snell out of the game. Yes. They left Blake Snell in longer than they left any other starter in in this World Series. They did left leave Blake Snell in because he was dealing. But you don't leave a lefty in against a righty the third time through the order, especially when it's a righty superstar that makes contact and doesn't chase. You know, like And Blake Snell had you know, used all his tricks. He threw some change-ups to Mookie Betts and he got him out with curveballs. Like, he was trying everything he could to get Blake's, to get Mookie Betts out the first couple of times. Like, I don't Hadn't think he, he struck him out twice, though? Left. Didn't he strike him out know, twice? No, but he didn't have any other tricks left. If he goes to the back foot slider, like, Mookie Betts is all over that. I mean, that's something that I saw in the preview. I think that they never thought that Snell would face Mookie a third time and you want to kill them for being scripted. I understand. That makes sense. A little bit. We've talked about the Dodgers being too scripted. I hear that, but Snell threw his slowest fastball of the of the outing to Austin Barnes in that one before. So he didn't really have that ninety seven left. I don't know. I think it's dispensable. I think <sighs> I, uh, Diego I totally Castillo disagree. is the wrong problem. The, the problem. Here's my issue, though, is that we've seen this a few times. Here's my main like bigger issue than just the like Snell came out over a seven game series. And over this long of a postseason, the race bullpen has been exposed. There's no, like, cute magic tricks to pull out now and overwhelm them. Nick Anderson didn't look what good. Fairbanks gave up that home run. They they had lost some luster off that bullpen. And I think that's something that, I guess, doesn't come up in the script at all. Hey, if Snell's dealing, has really had effortless innings, has a low pitch count, hasn't exhausted himself really at all, wouldn't you rather lose with that Cy Young guy? than with a reliever who has been struggling, no matter who it is. I mean, the Rays have had reliever issues. Very quietly, a lot of their guys have been hit, and the Dodgers are a team that has proven to adjust quickly. So I don't know. I I can't. I think the move's totally indefensible. Um, same, it, it's happening everywhere. I think if Dave Roberts did this, he'd be crushed. He'd be crushed for sticking to the script. Kevin Cash does it, and there's a faction of people who say, oh, well, this is how they got here true but at what point in time do you watch a guy and say you know i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with this here and see how this works out he's gonna get crushed either way either way kevin cash takes ownership of the move whether it's his idea or not his idea 
I think the thought I had too was, okay, is there something in an individual game performance that would be analytics based that would lead you to go against the numbers that guided this decision, right? If Blake Snell were still holding velocity close to his max, right? If he's throwing 97 in the fifth inning instead of 94 or whatever it might be, is there something on a granular level data-driven or is it only a gut decision? Is it only instincts? Is it only trusting your eyes? Is it only taking a very old-school approach? I don't want it to be analytics versus old-school. I'm wondering if there's uncharted territory for knowing when somebody's at or near peak performance, right? And if they're at or near peak performance, if that's the sort of level that would cause you to say, yeah, actually, this is the better option than going to the pen right now. And even even if it's only one or two more batters, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going seven or eight innings, right? I mean, the home run that Mookie Betts hit in the eighth to put the Dodgers up three to one, at that point, the fourth time through the order, Blake Snell would not have been in the game by then. Doesn't mean the same reliever would have been in. The situation could have been different. You know, it's not it's not apples to apples. But I just keep wondering: Are we going to reach a point where you can pitch so well that the third time through the order penalty gets tossed out because you do have that electric stuff and it, it kind of checks out on the back end with data? I mean, isn't reliever burnout a real thing in the postseason too? Don't you guys feel like by the time we get to the World Series here, teams... There's also got to be like, you see these relievers more and more, right? Like Exactly. Since the Rays have been using them, the Dodgers have seen them. And like, if there's a third time through the order penalty, maybe there's a third time you've seen the reliever penalty. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. where you're just like, a good point. you know, Nick Anderson is not fooling me right now. So, uh, I don't know. I think the big mistake was uh, the Diego Castillo versus Nick Anderson decision. Uh, but I think that in the end, the reason that that the Rays lost is the offense. You know? Yeah. I think it was the offense. You yeah. Know, they, beyond game six. I mean, they scored one run in game six. But throughout the series, it was a lot from Randy Rosarena and not much from the rest of the offense, unfortunately. And every Zoom with Kevin Cash was like, like started with, you know, what are you doing in this lineup and why is this guy here and this guy not in? And it was always Kevin Cash saying, we're just trying to figure something out. We're trying to find a spark. We're trying to get something other than from uh, something from uh, somebody other than Randy. Like they, they, he admitted that. And so I, I can't help but say that like if if like the it's funny thing about baseball is like we're, we're always like um looking forward to spring and like the minute the world series ends like there'll be pieces out this week that are like you know what should team x do and what should team y do to win next year right like <laughs> yeah. the, the baseball is so like turn the page here we go and i would say that the the reason to be hopeful about the rays is that they've done something really cool in terms of preventing runs. And if they can improve the offense, then there could be something, you know, they, they could get over the mountaintop eventually. And they've got in Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan, two guys at the top of the, you know, the minor leagues that make contact, you know, and it looks like powerful contact. Now, maybe they get into the major leagues and like Adamas and, and Lau, like strike out more often. But if they don't, if they if they end up being guys who can make more contact, then that can change the whole lineup. And then going forward, maybe they'll have a better lineup that 
makes more contact and is better for the postseason. So I don't think that necessarily this was like the last chance for the Rays. In fact, I think that in some ways the Dodgers are closer to you know, most of their players being peak. You know what I mean? Like, who who are the young yes. players on the Dodgers that you're looking for more out of in the future other than, like, Gavin Lux? So uh, the Dodgers finally made it. Uh, you can't say that analytics or old school beat analytics because the Dodgers are just <laughs> as analytics-based. They've got the biggest or computers second biggest analytics. Yeah, it was computers versus computers. The, the Dodgers had the second biggest analytics uh, department in baseball, R&D department in baseball. There's no way... Uh, that the analytics doesn't come part of that. And if you think it was scripted for cash, we don't know that, you know, Dave Roberts was less scripted this year. We know that it's been scripted in the past. It could have been just as scripted by the front office in LA. So it just turned out, uh, it just turned out to be a bad decision in terms of results. I, I'm not, I'm still not convinced hundred percent. It was bad in terms of process. I, I do think, and we can maybe all agree on this. Even if the Rays won tonight, we all kind of thought the Dodgers were the better team. The Dodgers were probably going to win the World Series no matter what. They had Walker Bueller going tomorrow. Sans that crazy ending to Game 4, they would have already won. It took a lot for the Rays to even get to this Game 6. So as much as we can debate whether Kevin Cash um, did the right thing or not, I don't think he took the World Series away from them. Do you guys think that's fair? Right? And I don't think he's the reason the Rays didn't win the World Series. No, no. I mean, look look throughout the postseason too. I think there was a lot more prior to today that was pointing to Kevin Cash being one of the league's best managers. You know, making the perfect in game adjustments, choosing the right relievers at the right time. Right again, more of a group effort than Kevin Cash solo the entire time. That's the DNA of the franchise, not just the DNA of the manager. I I don't think he managed them out of the series. That would be a complete overreaction. I expect someone much louder than me with a much bigger following than me to make some kind of argument like that on a nationally syndicated radio and TV show, probably on Wednesday. (laughs) I saw it on Twitter, so you know it's completely out of control and out of context, so I thought I would uh, pull the group here. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, what were were our calls, you know, going into the series? I think it was like... Dodgers and six versus Dodgers and seven, or did you did you have the Rays? I had the Rays and six. You had the Rays and six. Okay. Well, I mean, they ended up they were pretty good. <laughs> Look, they were. I think what we should take out of all this too is the fact that like we got two really good teams in the World Series. This was a really good World Series for all the talk about hey, too many teams, COVID, shortened season. We're not going to get this Saturday. You know, like top ten t- game of all time. Yeah. In, in the postseason. All right. So we got to see. Some really good baseball in a year where nobody was sure we were going to see any baseball. And we got to see a really good six games of the World Series. So I think as much as the Justin Turner COVID test puts a real fitting end to all of this, uh, you got to be happy as a baseball fan for what you were able to see and what you what MLB was able to accomplish once they, they figured their way out around the testing and the rules and things like that. Um we got through this, and I'm not so certain anybody on this podcast can say that they 100% were confident placing money on the fact that MLB was going to get here. Especially when we had one of our first episodes, I think probably around the time the Cardinals and Marlins both had had breakouts, right? I mean, it <sighs> yes. seemed like we were one more team away 
from possibly having a full stoppage for a couple of weeks. And if that happened, maybe we weren't going to get to the postseason. So much has changed week to week, or at least month to month. We've talked about that on the show a little bit too, right? The, the days of wiping off groceries. Fortunately, those days are over. Um, but the Turner News is, I think, a very sobering reminder that we are in the midst of a pandemic that has not been handled well. And despite that, we did get through a partial season that <laughs> was a distraction and was enjoyable, especially in the playoffs. I enjoyed the playoffs. How, and how close were we? I mean, how it shows us how close we were to not finishing the season. I mean, like, what would have happened if the Rays had won? Would the Dodgers have had to quarantine? We put Game 7 off for two weeks? A more cynical person would say that they knew about these results before the yeah. game, perhaps, and said, hey, you know what? The Dodgers are right there. Let's play it. I would love to see a real, concise timeline of what's going on. I'm guessing that there's uh, some effort being put forward into to making that timeline something that we can all read uh, at some point in the near and future. Manfred looks terrible uh, in his post-game interview, and everyone's <laughs> everyone's now asking about you know how this Turner thing could have happened, and uh, it, it, everyone's like thinking about the wrong things really uh, at at this time. It's very, 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 very strange. Very twenty twenty. He got booed apparently. Well, I mean, I guess it's the Dodgers and it's Manfred. I mean, we're gonna boo, we're gonna boo him, you know. And I also wonder, um, you know, we we talk about like this being a showcase for for the game. Uh, pretty weird to me that the Dodgers just won the World Series and uh, analytics is being slagged and the Dodgers just won the World Series with an opener and six relievers. Yeah, they got away yeah. from Tony Gonzalez real quick. Eno's boy. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I think he's good. I don't. I oh, Okay. He doesn't have good command. Um, and it it was kind of pulling nail, pulling teeth today, but he got through it a little bit. I don't know. I actually don't know. It would be really fascinating to me to where I rank him next year as a starting pitcher. Like this has been uh, terrible to watch for people that think Tony Gonsolin is a good pitcher. And I think Baseball America gave him their Rookie of the Year award. But um, no, I, but I think like was um, was that sort of reliever parade. Uh, we had the most relievers of all time, like the most pitchers of all time um, in in the average postseason game. Was that like, was that a problem for y'all? Tonight? No, the game, I thought the game's pace was okay. You mean overall? The most yeah, pitchers overall of all time? and tonight. Um, there were the most strikeouts in an inning, nine inning game tonight too, right? I think they announced yeah. that as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I've kind of gotten used to it by now or the fact that it was such a, exciting you know world series it on was the tight game yeah. yeah it was this was tight kind of made me forget about it a little bit um i guess that's just the way the game is going unless they make some significant changes i, I guess i didn't have a huge problem with tonight's pace of game or really the way the game unfolded tonight i mean you knew the dodgers were going with the bullpen game you knew it wasn't going to be a a pitching matchup you know between both teams no one was going to go seven innings um so no i didn't I didn't really have a problem with it. Did you, Derek? No, I I almost think the pitching changes don't bother me in a close game, but they drive me crazy when mm. a team is up 
by three plus, right? When it's, when it's like not very close. Spring training in the ninth inning, they're making. A- yeah, like yeah. those those situations. <laughs> that's when that's when pace sort of becomes a problem. I, given the stakes, it didn't seem problematic. It was a close game. There was plenty of drama uh, throughout. Uh, I keep thinking about a few things performance wise in this game. I mean, Blake Snell was outstanding. We didn't really talk about just the numbers themselves. Nine strikeouts, no walks, just the one earned run, two hits. Five and a third innings. I mean, that was an outstanding start from him. And a couple of things on the Dodgers side. Alex Wood out of the bullpen as the glue guy gets six outs, three three strikeouts, nobody on base. So that was a really important bridge in the middle innings for them. They got one and third from Victor Gonzalez with three Ks. You know, it was a great Johnny Holstaff effort by the Dodgers. When we were talking about it as sort of a, a soft punt situation again, much like game two, right? They got more mileage out of some guys that we had some low expectations for. And I feel like that's what that's what kind of puts the spotlight back on the Rays offense for me, is that you shouldn't go scoreless for seven plus innings against Dylan Floro, Alex Wood, Alex Pedro Wood. Baez, Victor yeah. Gonzalez, and Bruce yeah. Gar, right? Like I mean, Julio Urias is really good. But the middle innings especially you got to do more damage than that. You, you just that's that's not a good enough group of relievers to keep you completely off the scoreboard. One thing I spotted that was weird in the preview that I did was that the uh, bad relievers, the quote unquote bad relievers for the Dodgers, had a better strikeout minus walk rate than uh, the good ones. And that might be partially because Trinan and Gradderall are like you know sinker guys. You know they they don't have that big strikeout rate, and May doesn't either. But yeah, tonight they 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 did well. Um, but I do think that it's on next year. Austin Meadows returning to form, even someone like Andy Diaz returning to form. There's going to be a trade. I mean, as much as Willie and and I almost hope that they learn some of the soft science that was so successful for them that they made they had such a team of brotherhood and togetherness that I think it would be folly for them to trade Willie Adamas, even though Willie Adamas has like the strikeout rate and they might have Wander Franco is going to come up behind him. And it could totally be like a raise thing to trade Willie Adamas in the middle of all these years of control for something else. And, you know, that could be something they do, but Willie is really important to this team in terms of uh, making friendships across all different kinds of lines and just being the, the energy factor. So, um, maybe they trade Brandon Lau instead, but you, you like if you're looking at a place to improve strikeout rate, it's Austin Meadows, Brandon Lau, Willie Adamas. Th- those are the places where you can get more offense, and uh, you could uh, either get it by trade or by sort of improvement from one of those players. With Adamas, a 124 WRC plus in the regular season. I mean, 24 percent better than a league average hitter, even with that strikeout rate, and that strikeout rate was well above what we'd seen from him in the past. So to me, there's there's optimism in targeting him via trade if the Rays don't keep him. But I think you could probably turn him into more of a super utility guy. And, you know, they they love to platoon in enough spots defensively. He's he's a fine shortstop, but he could play other spots if needed. Maybe that's yeah. the the way to do it, right? Still he still bring the energy. Still there every day, still plays pretty much every day, probably starts three or four games a week instead of six or seven. Maybe that's the role for Adames next year. Trade trade Wendell, you know, or something like that, you know, try to try to find something else that works. Uh, But, you know, Franco's coming up. 
Bruins coming up. They've got uh, there's more news coming through on the Turner test in the second inning tonight, says Jeff Passan. The lab doing COVID tests informed MLB that Justin Turner's test from yesterday came back inconclusive. The samples from today had just arrived and were run. It showed up positive. The league immediately called Dodgers and said to pull Turner in the eighth inning. Uh, I don't know about this. I mean, <sighs> this is not this is not the last bit of info we're going to hear about this and i hope it's the truth well god damn it dude he got to play a test he got to play in a game when his results were inconclusive yeah i guess he was already playing they're saying the second inning so these guys took the field without their results the the goddamn it for me is not necessarily aimed at the dodgers i think or mlb like there's a lot it's more just like uh like, really? Right. Like, how come the NBA and NHL pulled off bubbles and MLB has to, yeah, has to like get, like, really totally pooped through. on in the big stage, oh right? Oh, my God. Um, this couldn't happen on an off day, you know? Um, of course. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, the national media tomorrow, uh, I guess we're national media, but like, you know, I'm thinking more of sort of like, um, you know, on the radio and ESPN types, the two the two storylines are going to be analytics suck and uh, <laughs> baseball couldn't handle themselves when it came to COVID. I think it's a little more nuanced than that in both cases. Yeah, but the families, the issue to me isn't just the Justin Turner test, it's the people you put in jeopardy by letting Justin Turner play. And then pulling him. If they didn't get the test results for these guys, maybe maybe it was just Justin Turner. But why were they getting results in-game? They're the only... They have two labs. This is no longer the regular season where they're testing all these players. It is a very small group now, and they should be the first test done. And there was something about, like, you weren't supposed to interact with your family. Like, they could be at the thing, but, like, Willie Adams was saying that he was saying hi to his family from, like, yeah. 30 feet away. Like you weren't so, but they won and they just showed all of the Dodgers family (laughs) on the field. So like, was that like a super spreader event that we all just watched on TV where like everyone's kissing their, their wives for the first time with, you know, Justin Turner germs on their lips. I don't know. Like maybe uh, we'll, we'll see what, what happens, but it just like, I can't believe that 2020 managed to rear its head again at the very end of this. You guys, what if you're Corey Seager, you win an MVP of the world series unanimously. It is your moment. And literally no one is talking about you. Not a one. We didn't even mention it. It's 26 minutes into this pod. And I felt like we should maybe mention who won the MVP. I mean, in <laughs> our defense, 
Justin Turner testing positive for COVID <laughs> as the World Series ended was a pretty big deal. I know. So <laughs> we should talk about Corey Seager though. And <laughs> he was he was my pick on the hitter side kind of mid-series because he was just crushing it. Kershaw, I think, had a case, and that was uh, something that uh, Alex, one of the listeners of our pod, threw our way. I, I think his case was based on the series going seven, Kershaw coming into game seven and kind of doing what Urias did in game six, right? Shutting the door with an inning or two and kind of tacking that on. Either way, he's exercised his playoff demons. Not only did he get the World Series, but he just pitched really well in the series as well. He's going to, like, you know, we wrote these, um, we have these briefs that we do um, right after a game ends or just a short sort of, here's what we've got. Here's some insights. And we have Andy and Pedro and me and, you know, Pedro Mora and me, like sort of just writing about what just happened as we're writing longer things. And, you know, what does um, Andy have a thing about Clayton Kershaw and how he won the title and how, even though he has the three Cy Young awards, this is a big deal. So he may not have won the MVP, but Clayton Kershaw will get a fair amount of the, of the dap. <laughs> you know, for for winning this like he will he will get some dap for this i, I think uh it makes a lot of sense to give the actual hardware the mvp to Corey seager because it was just sort of like an everyday thing where like every time he comes to bat the rays are terrified basically and they're asking willie Dominic about Corey seager you know what i mean like it's it was one of those things where he just every time he hit the ball it was a rocket it was in the right angles. Uh, you know, I have this nitro stat. He was the leader in the lead, in the postseason in terms of hitting the ball in the right angles at the right velocities. Like he, he, uh, he, he showed us what a healthy Corey Seager can look like. And interestingly enough, I got asked. You know, one of the things that I got asked on the radio about this. One of the things that he said was, um, "I used to do video all the time, and now that I don't have video, I don't overthink it." Which is just funny. Do you have Javi Baez and J.D. Martinez saying no video is why I struggle so much this year? And then you have World Series MVP saying no video is part of why you know I did so well this year. Yeah, the overthinking it thing is uh, is pretty funny. I I think with Seager, it, there's also there's a nice comeback story with him. I mean, he was just not the same hitter coming off of injuries. Uh, you look back at the numbers, I mean, 2019. 19 homers, you know, that's a nice year from a middle infielder, like in typical times, right? But he'd shown so much potential with the 26 homers back in 2016. Comes out last year off of two injuries and, and is just good, not great. And comes back this regular season, hits 15 home runs, shows that power, gets the average back up, kind of ticks all the boxes. A 151 WRC plus is really the best Corey Seager we'd seen yet, even though it was in a partial season. And the exit velocity this year was up a ton, 93.2 for his average exit velocity. He was down to 88.8 last year by comparison, so it gives you an idea of where he might have been at health-wise seeing that drop. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a nice story, too, that's kind of just lost completely in the shuffle of what's happening tonight. <laughs> I mean, my Twitter feed is a complete like chaos. I mean, between... Justin Turner, I guess all the Dodgers will receive rapid tests tonight after they get back. However, they've already been celebrating sans mask yeah, on the field. Rapid test full of champagne. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's interesting. And then Kevin Kiermeyer uh, apparently 
kind of threw a little shade and said, I don't care what the numbers say. Um, Blake Snell had a couple more innings in him. So there is a lot of things going on right now. And, and <laughs> Corey Seager was good, but he's like the fifth most important storyline in the World Series, even though he won <laughs> right. the MVP. <laughs> I don't blame us for, for getting to him late. <laughs> <laughs> At least we got him in there. <laughs> I mean, Kiermaier's comments are, are interesting, too, just because he's a long tenured Ray. He's a leader in that clubhouse too, right? And there were some player reactions on Twitter. I saw Christian Yelich tweeted a gif of a man destroying his computer at the time that Snell was removed. And I laughed, but then I thought, dude, your manager would do the exact same thing. Like I, I'm not convinced that, that Craig council would have handled that situation any differently than Kevin cash. Um, but to get some players pushing back and Snell's reactions when he comes out of games, all the time are generally, I think, pretty demonstrative, right? Like he, he's not the guy that's quietly just hanging his head, walking off the mound. Like he's mad that he's coming out of a game because he's just one of those guys that wants the ball. Like That's that's not a bad thing. Uh, but this is one of those decisions. People are going to talk about it for a very long time. Yeah, and the Justin Turner, we're just tip the iceberg here. By the time this pod comes out, there might even be more info on this because it's Hopefully everything was true, like we were saying, you know, hopefully MLB didn't actually know the results. It seems to me that nobody was pulling harder for the Dodgers tonight than MLB. It would have got real dicey here if the Rays had won this game. Yeah, yeah. And and just the way that Manfred looked on the field at the end, I think, speaks to the gut shot that he got in the eighth inning where he thought, you know, maybe. And even on the field, he said something about, we're glad we got this done. Did he? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's a. It's not an amazing look for baseball. I think none of it was an amazing look for baseball. I mean, the whole sixty-game series, the 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 way that they, that labor and and ownership fought before this started, and ownership seemed to be fighting for fewer games, just trying to get to the postseason and make as much money off the postseason as they could. The, the ill will that will be there between the players and the owners is still there. Um, the, the, the Manfred talking about how much money the baseball lost this year on the eve of Game 6 in an interview uh, doesn't look good. A.J. Hinch giving, or is it Jeff Lunau, giving an inter- interview about how people just wanted to, you know, trounce him uh, for cheating. And they just, the media had, had it in for him and, you know, it wasn't his fault. I mean, baseball can't help but punch itself in the nether regions. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. I, I, uh, I, I, I use the gender neutral term. <laughs> I, I think that's probably. But you know a, what I mean. <laughs> I mean, I think that's probably a fitting point to end with Manfred and everything that's gone wrong because oh I do, I do want to point out really quickly. Uh, another gem of Manfred's tenure in that now the season is over. All those suspensions, Alex Cora, AJ Hinch, oh. Jeff Lunhow, they are now free to be hired. They will be moved off the restricted list. As I was told by somebody inside MLB, um, we pulled tonight, about tomorrow. Yeah. To, immediately as soon as the season is over. So tonight, I guess the second. Wow. That, second that Justin Turner's COVID test came back positive, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora are. Free to slide in. The rest of baseball is not excited about this. Well, 
I guess I try to equate it to like a regular person job. Like if you got in huge trouble, you know, for plagiarism and they told you to sit out for 60 games or, or half a year, would you be allowed to slot back in at a, at the same level position you're at or maybe even a better position? Cause the White Sox job's a good job. Yeah. Would that be allowed? Like with the, with the Astros aging, like you almost say that could be a better job. You know, you're jumping over to a young team. I th- so I think most people are okay with the second chance, but a lot of people are not okay with these guys sliding into these plum jobs like nothing ever happened. In like Alex Cora is like being rumored to come back to the Red Sox. It's like, I what? think he does. I think a guy who won there can do no wrong in in, in that media oh, market. That's man. a fishbowl. It's strange. If you want to read the story, uh, that was Britt working with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrick, getting the pulse of a lot of people around the league about the returns of Cora and A.J. Hinch. It was a featured story on The Athletic on Tuesday. Sign up for $1 a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. I think I'm just disappointed that the league can't develop more interesting managerial candidates. Like There are 30 of these jobs out there, and there are, what, 1,500 people working in baseball at all different levels that in some form are on some sort of track to lead a team, maybe, if you count up all the position coaches and hitting coaches and pitching coaches and coordinators. and I mean, some of these guys didn't even have managerial experience before uh, getting an opportunity. They didn't manage in the minors, that is, before becoming major league managers. They went, A.J. Hinch was, I think, what, the D-backs farm director before he was a manager? Like, it... It's strange. Carlos Beltran was going to get a job without ever managing a minor league game. There are people that spend their entire lives trying to strike this balance and get on this track, and then you have two guys get suspended for a year, and they immediately come back, and they're going to be offered potentially the best jobs that are out there. That that would frustrate you. If you were one of those people spending your entire life rising through the ranks, doing everything you could to become a better candidate, <laughs> that would be a really frustrating thing to see play out. Yeah, and you know, you touched on this with the pine tar. I had an agent bring that up that, um, you know, MLB's history is to just turn a blind eye towards PEDs, towards sign-stealing cheating, which they knew was going on before this. Same thing with pine tar. They just kind of don't address it, don't address it, don't address it. Then it becomes such a huge public outcry that they have to do something about it, and their punishment is always just kind of halfway. And, th- and it makes nobody happy, you know, right. and it's like it's either, you know, from the Astro side too punitive, like there's Astro fans who think it's too punitive. And why why was it so punitive when you know that the Red Sox and the Yankees were doing it and that there's other players coming out and saying, you know, there's more teams than that, you know. Um, so why was it so punitive to us? Like the, why like people were mad at the athletic for 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 supposedly <laughs> pushing this Astro story. It was like, no, no, we're just reporting what's out there. And baseball itself said that the Red Sox thing wasn't as bad. But like, can we believe them? And like, what right. what do we know about like what the you know, other teams were doing? So, yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. Like they always get backed into a corner before they make a, a decision. You know, it's always, you know, zero sum you know, brinksmanship, where it's just like it comes to the end and then something has to happen. And so they hurriedly like their COVID policy, you know, like you're putting, <laughs> you know, putting things together as they go along. Like they're trying to, to build the car as they drive it. You know, it's just like, it, it, you know, it's always just like, what are you doing? Like, it seems obvious, but 
I don't know. Maybe there's something about the structure of the way the MLBPA is stronger than it is in other sports and the way um, ownership and there's no salary cap. And so there's ownership might have these old like issues where they they're still mad about. I don't know, free agency. I don't know what it is, but something. <laughs> they're so mad about something. And so they're these old fishers that just like don't allow people to work together. And, um, you know, it comes out d- d- switching gears a little bit, but is, is this year, is the title tainted in, in any way because of the 60 game season and the weird pro season and just all this stuff? Is it like somebody hitting 400 or is it, is it uh, totally legitimate? No, that was deal. a good gear. We went from cheating to tainted. So you, you did a nice hey, little... Uh... Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Like, because if it is tainted, like, that's a funny thing to put to put up as, as an equivalency. Because if it is tainted, that would be like the third tainted title in four years or something, right? Like, we're talking about like Astros. Which tainted Dodge. title is like... the most tainted? Tune yeah, in, right, next rates exactly. and barrels. <laughs> <laughs> We'll make that a Twitter poll and let people write long responses that I will oh. uh, read to everybody on the air. That'll be, that'll be a fun way to go about punch it. Punch myself <laughs> in the nether regions. You know what, though? I, this is my last thought of the night because I'm, I'm running out of energy. I, I, think the, I think this was a legitimate title. And I think despite the weirdness of 16 teams being in the postseason, I think MLB lucked into having the two best teams in the World Series. They actually did. And I think even the fact that the Rays had to go five with the Yankees to get there, you know, the the path the Rays took, not only was it exciting, it was a grueling path to prove that they deserved Mm -hmm. to be there. And I think, as we said a little earlier, we all looked at the Dodgers, and they're just a better team than the Rays right now. Were the Rays good enough to win? If you play a series like this 10 times, did the Rays win two or three of the series? Yeah, probably probably two or three, but seven or eight of those series are going to go to the Dodgers. And I think in a year where so much could have gone wrong with 16 teams in the playoffs, it's one of the very few things that sort of played out the right way. I completely agree. I think at the beginning of this crazy year, which feels like 20 years ago, but was July, (laughs) I I thought to myself, this season isn't real. You're going to put an asterisk by it, but... By the time we've gotten through this strange March Madness playoffs postseason, you know, nobody got shut down. Nobody got a positive test of no until Justin Turner at the until end. Until Justin Turner. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 45, 50 days without a positive test, yeah, right? Yeah, like, you know what? Yeah. And I, and as you guys have, have heard as well, like, I've talked to players that are like, this season not only counts, it should be worth double. I feel like I played 300 games. Oh, they're so tired. It was so hard on the players. And and actually, I think you're also right, DVR, to point out that these are the like maybe the two best teams in baseball this year because the way that you would say that wasn't legitimate is by saying, oh, like the Marlins, right, or right. the Astros. Like if the Astros won this year, they were like below 500, right? You know, yeah. And the, the like if if a 500 team had just like limped its way to 29 teams. 29 wins and like found a way to win in the postseason and like just gotten to the end like i i think that maybe you'd have a point but this the dodgers don't have a problem winning regular season games you know like no they could have they could have challenged the mariners maybe for for you know wins in a season this year i think that's how good they were so um 
uh, it's legitimate. And I, in some way, the weird postseason they came up with actually makes it more legitimate, right? Because it just made it more like, no, man, they had a gauntlet, man. They had to they had to beat everybody. There was, you know, everybody got in, and so they had to beat everybody. <laughs> so, and as as much as like an, I think, you know, I do have one response. It's like calm down, you know, illegitimate ass 60 game season or whatever it is. But um, I think mostly we're all going to remember this year, right? Like, like I'm going to remember, Unfortunately. I'm going to remember this run with y'all, you know, <laughs> on this podcast. I'm going to remember uh, just wondering if the season was going to happen, just the ups and downs of the season. I thought 60 games ended up being interesting because there were some teams that jumped out to crazy uh leads in terms of wins and then just there was time for regression right there was enough uh of a season that you know some of the teams that were rabbits kind of fell back to earth and um like the orioles like they didn't make it you know <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. just like just the whole this I, I i i'm so thankful for you guys um and i'm thankful for our listeners and our readers because um there's been times where i thought there would be no sports there would be none of this i thought we were going to descend into madness in the streets um and uh just a little bit of normalcy even if it comes with the the weird turner thing at the end a little bit of normalcy a normal world series and um some some good baseball fun with you guys on the podcast and and you guys as listeners like i'm very thankful for that man i am very very thankful for that yeah. Amen. Second all that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tack on a third. I, I think the sanity that comes from getting to work with your friends goes a, yeah. a long way all the time, and it goes twice as far in a pandemic. And uh, <laughs> a huge thank you to the many of you who've stuck around. We, we've never done playoff episodes before. It's the first time we did it. Uh, a lot of people seem to like it, so hopefully it's something that we'll do at least in some form in the future. Uh, as for the show beyond today... I think we're going to get back to twice a week. I don't know what exactly everything's going to look like, but we'll have more details on that on the very next we episode. We might take a so. little bit of a break to, to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a little little recovery period in here. It's not going to be super long, but we'll, we're turning the page to 2021 very soon. So hopefully everybody enjoyed the show. I thought it was a great postseason. I'm just glad we made it thus far. So for Britt Giroli, at Britt underscore Giroli on Twitter, and... Enoceras at Enoceras. I'm Derek Van Riper. We hope you enjoyed the Rates and Barrels playoff shows. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.